This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today, we have Deborah Jason with us. Deborah, welcome. Thanks for having me, Shane. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Uh, Deborah is a professional speaker, author, direct response copywriter, and multifaceted marketing mentor. She started her entrepreneurial journey when she opened her doors for business as a writer in 1989 and since then has personally written thousands upon thousands of words for hundreds of clients around the country and some overseas. Um, now, I've just actually uh, had the opportunity to read her book, a Millionaire Marketing on a Shoestring Budget, How to Attract a Steady Stream of Happy Clients, Make More Money, and Live Your Dream. And it's a fantastic book. And you also uh, co-authored a book with Joel Calm, didn't you, called... What was the name of that book? Which one was it's that? It's called, um, So What Do You Do? Discovering the Genius, let's see, just Discovering the Genius Next Door with One Simple Question. And that was um, just about three years ago. Fantastic. And I actually, that's where that's how we met, actually, is that um, I met yourself and Joel Com, um for the first time at the Gorilla Marketing Reunion in uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, just over a year ago, I think. Yeah, it was October, I think, of last year. It's hard yeah, to believe that a year has already flown by. Fantastic. <clears throat> so with with the uh, millionaire marketing on a shoestring budget, uh, what inspired you to write this book? And uh, kind of what sets it apart from other marketing books? I mean, I know I've read it, but maybe for the audience, you know, what sets it apart and what inspired you to write it? Well, that goes back to about... Um, 2001, after 9-11 happened, I had quite a few clients as a copywriter that were calling me and saying, you know, I'm, I'm cutting back. I'm cutting back on my budget. I'm scared. I can't do anything. And so my advice to them was, this is not the time to cut back. This is the time you want to keep present and stay out there. And you can do it without spending a lot of money. And so I started doing this presentation. And back then, it wasn't called Millionaire Marketing on a Shoestring Budget, but as it developed, that title came to the forefront. And then what happened was many years later, fast forward to probably another event where Joel was there, and um, we were talking about Millionaire Marketing on a Shoestring Budget, and someone said, that sounds like a book. And as I pursued my professional speaking career, many people said, you know, you need to write a book. And I ran into a colleague of mine who happens to be a coach in that arena, helps people get books out of their head and onto paper. And I had helped him get some speaking engagements. And he said to me, you help me, let me help you. So in 2014 is probably when I actually committed to writing the book. And it came out a year ago. So that's what inspired me to write the book was that it was a presentation I had and I wanted to share the message. I run, run into so many people, you know, and you probably have as well that say, you know, well, I don't have a big marketing budget. So what sets the, the book apart is that it's really based on what I've done. My business will be 28 years old in January. Hard to believe, but it's based on what I did to get my message out because when I started my business, I didn't have a degree in marketing. I have a master's degree, but it was in communication disorders. So I knew I needed to get my message out there and get it out there in a big way. So I share with people what they can do to, to help them get their message out there in a big way. Fantastic. Now, a master's degree in communications <laughs> disorders. What's a communications disorder? 
well, communication disorders has to do with language and speech disorders. Okay. So um, I got a master's degree and became a speech pathologist and worked with children in the public schools here in Colorado. So it could be children who did not have a mastery of the language or children who had speech disorders such as lisps or stutters, things like that. Great. Well, I kind of see the, the connection between mastering <laughs> language and then turning it into a marketing craft, you know, so that's, um, a, that's a, yeah, it's, it is interesting, you know, so I tell people, well, I know a lot about communication about how not to, or, you know, and so that way I turn it around and help people to do it in a way that helps them grow their business. So shoestring, uh, being a shoestring marketer, sometimes that comes to mind is it's you know not spending money. Um, but, you know, what's the line between being a shoestring marketer and not investing enough into your marketing? What's that kind of, what's that balance there? Well, you know, the thing that comes up is even people with large budgets still want to market effectively. So it's not necessarily, you know, what millionaire marketing on a shoestring budget is how to get big results without spending a lot of money. So, for example, if you think about the Super Bowl, and when I do presentations, I ask people this question, you know, this last year, I think the Super Bowl was $5 million for a 30-second commercial. And I stand in front of an audience and I say, how many people watched it? Because here in Colorado, you know, the Broncos won. So quite a few people in local audiences raised their hand. And I say, how many remember the commercials? And very few raised their hand. And for the few that do raise their hand, I say, do you remember the brand? And they don't. And then the next question is, did you buy that product? And they didn't. So even those companies that are spending lots and lots of money, you know, they're not always converting into sales. So being a shoestring marketer is really about investing your money wisely. So yes, many of the things I cover in the book are about things you can do without spending money. But there are things, things that take an investment and all of them, no matter what you're doing, take an investment of time. Isn't that interesting is time, you know, we always think about money, but, you know, the time aspect of, of being efficient in our marketing is, is so vital too. Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen, I, I do this myself as a, as a somewhat of a solopreneur is I, I find myself doing things that I really should be paying other people to do. Time is so valuable. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring it up because, you know, there are so many people that say that, you know, if, you have things that someone else could be doing that free your time up so that you can do more of what you excel in, then it's always wise to find somebody to outsource it to. Um, now, some people would say, well, I don't have the budget to do that. But, you know, for example, when I started, a, um, I was launching a new website for a product that I'm no longer offering. But at that time, I was like, I don't have to, I know, and I, I can do a website, but the technology has changed so much, I didn't want to do a website. So I found someone to do it for me. And believe me, the time I saved in her doing it freed me up to work on my product launch. So Doing the stuff you're really uniquely good at, which is yes. key. Yeah, it makes a big difference. So can you share a couple millionaire or marketing millionaire on a shoestring budget success stories? Do you have a, you know some clients or some individuals that have done this and have had some great results? Well, people have done various elements to it. And so, for example, there's a client who 
Oh, God, he started his business probably maybe this time, three, three and a half years ago now. And he created a, a dehydrated, crunchy apple. Okay. And the story is he started out of his backyard when his apple tree, you know, kept dropping apples. And he started to go, I'm tired of throwing these away. I don't want to waste the food. So he started dehydrating them and giving them to friends. And friends started going, oh, these are really good. And so he started a business. And to help that business get exposure, would submit press releases to local publications. Um, And so, for example, one of his first press releases was about getting his apples into the local school district so that kids had a healthy school snack. So then he said, well, you know, I should let the community know about this and got some exposure in the newspaper about what he was doing for kids to help kids with his apples. Then it sort of snowballed from there. He met somebody who knew um, an aide to Michelle Obama. So he sent some samples of his product back with the aide and he got a letter from Michelle Obama. He did a press release about that. So each time he did a press release, he got more and more exposure. And this last year, probably about maybe six months ago, he was approached by a company to purchase his business. So, you know, it's kind of unusual within three years in that particular industry to have somebody say, hey, we want to buy your business. And now he's, instead of running the whole business, kind of like we were just talking about with, um, you know, valuing your time, now he gets to focus on being the brand manager for his product and not having to do all the other things. I mean, he used to go, you know, and peel the apples and he used to go put labels on bags. And so because he, you know, had a steady um, coverage in the local community with press releases, that worked really well for him. Another thing that happened was he used to do quite a few um, demonstrations, food demonstrations, you know, go to a local health food market. And one day he said to me, wow, this woman came up to me and she told me how much she loved the product and her kid loved the product. And I said, did you pull out your cell phone and get that on video? And he was like, oh, no. He said, next time that happens, ask for permission and see if they'll record something. So that doesn't cost him any money. And he gets people talking about and endorsing his product so that helped him get some more exposure as well so you can see there's you know certain things you can do again that don't cost you much money they just cost you the time and sometimes it's so obvious people go oh yeah i should have done that but they forget so my goal is to keep reminding them you know that there's some simple things that they can do to get that exposure and gain that top of mind awareness so that when somebody does need a service or a product like yours they think of you because you're top of mind that's great. And what a, what a great kind of entrepreneurial success story where mm-hmm. it came from a, a you know, a really just a, a consciousness around not wanting to waste this fruit. And then it evolved into a great business. And, uh, and the, the press release, you know, I think it's such an underutilized tool as you're talking about it. I'm thinking about it going, shoot, there's two or three conferences I'm speaking at. I should be doing press releases about that. And I think we don't realize how cost efficient that is as a method of marketing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I started my business, actually, it's kind of interesting. I used to send out a lot of press releases, and 
um, after a while, and that doesn't, you know, just for the people who are listening, just because you send a press release doesn't mean you're going to get a big article in the newspaper. But depending what you're doing, like if you're speaking somewhere, they might give you a little blurb, or if you have a unique angle, then they might want to interview you. When I, um, I lived in Kauai for 10 years, and when I came back to Colorado, I submitted a press release, two press releases, to a business publication and to the business section of a local publication. And then I followed up with a phone call, and both of them said to me, well, Deborah, you know, it's nice. You lived in Boulder. You started your business here. You went to Hawaii, and now you're back. But that happens for a lot of people. Well, because I followed up, and follow-up is really important, one of the uh, journalists said to me, well, I, you know, Deborah, I don't think I want to write an article about, you know, you're coming back. But I do this feature called Five Questions. And if I send you the five questions, would you answer them? And then I'll put it in the paper. And so she put together this feature called Five Questions. And I got two or three phone calls as a result of that. The other gentleman who didn't want to cover, you know, the fact that I moved back to Colorado <laughs> said, hey, I'll cover, you know, one of the topics I speak about is LinkedIn. So we did an article about LinkedIn. So you never know. Sometimes it's don't give up. Even if you send out the press release, follow up. And sometimes that can turn into something. And in my book, um, I think it's chapter eight, maybe I talk about how to get amazing free publicity. And a lot of people will say, well, what do I send a press release about? And you just gave a perfect example. I'm speaking at several conferences um, or I have something that's really unique. I just spoke to a group of professional organizers and I found articles like in the Wall Street Journal about professional organizing. So if you're creative about your topic and can submit that to a publication, you might get spinoff from that. That's great. I love it. That's inspiring. So <laughs> in your book, you also talk about the concept of standing in the spotlight or public speaking as a marketing tool. Can you, can you expand upon this uh, for oh, our listeners? Oh, I'd love to because you know what? To me, that's the most fun way to market yourself. Since the day I started my business, I started speaking because for several reasons. One, you get to stand in front of an audience and convey your expertise and increase your credibility and your visibility without having to give a hardcore sales pitch to anybody. You're sharing something of value and people in the audience get to know you, like you, and hopefully trust you. And you probably have heard of that KLT factor, the know, like, and trust. And so speaking gives you that opportunity to share your expertise and to start to build relationships. And it's, for me, a great way to connect. Like we're doing this podcast and people will get value from this. But when you're speaking in front of a group, you also get to connect face to face and eye to eye and smile to smile and handshake to handshake. So it's a great way to start to get out there and be with people so that they then can develop some more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, back to the relationships. They can really begin to develop some relationship with you. And that over time, again, can lead to more business for you. So I'm a big proponent of going out there and speaking. Now I do it professionally, uh, but I still, one of the tips I share with people is get out there. And people go, well, what am I going to speak about? There's two things. You probably have heard this, Shane. You know, people say, the one thing people are more afraid of than death is public speaking. 
And I still want to know who actually started that because nobody has ever stated the source of where that information came from. But there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people out there who do want to speak, but they're afraid to. And so they can start small, start in a a networking group, go to a Toastmasters group, um, go to their local chapter if there is one of the National Speakers Association Mm -hmm. and get some exposure to that. And you can start to build your confidence. The other question people say is, well, what do I speak about? And I, I encourage them to look at two things. What are you knowledgeable about? And what are you passionate about? And to make two lists and then score those lists on a scale of one to 10, 10 being what are you most knowledgeable and what what are you most passionate about? And then maybe two things rise to the top and you can say, oh, I can blend these two. Or maybe one just rises to the top and then you go, okay, here's what I can put together a talk about and start to practice it. Really important. I mean, even when I've given a presentation more than once, I still go and practice it again because I will change things. I will always customize it or tailor it to the group. So take some time to practice that as well. So when you go up in front of that crowd, you know, it's natural to be nervous when you get started, but take a deep breath and people in the audience want to see you succeed. So isn't that a great distinction? That was something that, you know, when you realize that, you know, people do, some people do fear speaking and, or they're uncomfortable with it. And so when they're watching you on stage, they want it, they want you to succeed. They don't want to witness discomfort and they actually, they really want you to, they're there and hoping that you excel. So I think it's a, that's a great insight. Well, you know, they're there because they believe you're going to share some value and so, you know, they want to have a good time listening to you as well as learning something new. And, you know, in their heart of hearts, they don't want to leave there going, oh, that was terrible. And they want to leave there going, wow, that was not only a great speaker, but I learned so much. And now I can take what I've just heard today and implement it. Great. So, I mean, I'm a huge believer in speaking. It's uh, when I started off in my career, that's how I got business because, I would speak anywhere I could for free that has an audience of people who possibly could hire me. And that along with old school spam, which AKA fax blasting, <laughs> uh, was, uh, you know, how, how I got started. And then along came social media. You were media. a fax blaster, huh? I was up all night faxing people one at a time to different businesses about my public sales training courses. Yeah. And that was, that's, uh, so I was excited when, you know, social media and blogging and podcasting came along because it's a true shoestring, you know, budget type tool. Now, with that said, uh, let's talk about social media. Can you still become internet famous and attract great customers or is it just too noisy and overwhelming for most people now? Well, you know, um, when I talk to people about social media, which I do a lot, the goal for me is not to become internet famous. Um, but it is a great way to attract customers. It's also just a good way to start to build relationships. I to me, marketing is about building and nurturing relationships And so I find social media is a fabulous tool for doing that. And a perfect example is even though you and I met before we connected on social media, um, it was because I think, tell me if I'm wrong, some of the things that I posted and that you retweeted and all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm getting an invitation from you to be a guest on your podcast. Yes. I think it's because we developed and maintained and nurtured that relationship. 
And so social media is awesome that way. Um, Brian Fanzo has a quote. Um, I may not get it right, so I'm paraphrasing. But he talks about, you know, social media done right can lead to meet when you meet that person in person, if that if you're fortunate to have that happen, which is always awesome, then instead of just a handshake, you get a hug because yes. you've developed that relationship on social media. So that's definitely a paraphrase of his quote. Um, but that's the beauty to me of social media is to start to build and nurture the, the relationships. And again, it goes back to, as we were talking about earlier, time. You know, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, you start to build a relationship. And then, like you said, if you're fortunate and and I've had the experience of meeting those people in person. And it is. You get a hug instead of a handshake. And sometimes that will turn into business. If it doesn't turn into, let's say, um, a client for you, it can turn into a referral for you. So I have a colleague. We met on Twitter, oh, God, years ago. Then we both ended up at a conference together. We actually shared a room and became roommates. And now we're wonderful friends. But what does she do? I've never done any work for her as a copywriter. I've never gone and spoken at any events um, because she's never led her own events. But she has referred me numerous times um, to be a guest on podcasts or webinars or teleseminars because she goes, oh, this would be a great audience for you, Deborah. You know, she has promoted my book when my book came out. And a lot of people on social media have done that. People have received my books and posted photos. So Social media is a great way to attract customers. Yes, it's noisy. And you know what? For some people, it is overwhelming. And what I say to the men, and I actually, I think, have a chapter in my book about, you know, the social media, the feeling of social media overwhelm. And that is, don't try to do it all. Find the place where you think your audience is. And what I stress is the place that you enjoy being at. So, so um What's, Go ahead. What's your favorite social media tool? So my favorite, I have probably a, a two, which is Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, Facebook is, I find, you know, very engaging with people. And that's where I've met many people online who I've had them the good fortune to meet offline. LinkedIn um, is where I go for the more, you know, it's interesting. I go to LinkedIn for the because it is the largest business professional network. But a lot of the people I'm connected to on Facebook are also business colleagues. And so to me, those are two really engaging ones. I'm on Twitter a lot, um, but I would probably say Facebook, LinkedIn, and then Twitter comes in third place. I'm, I'm on other platforms as well, but that's probably where I spend most of my energy. I love Instagram, but Instagram I really do to share some of my beautiful photos and um, inspirational quotes. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I think for Instagram, you know, I'm I'm, uh, and you know, because we're connected on LinkedIn and and Facebook and Twitter, I share a lot of my you know business content and whatnot. But I find Instagram really is where I just share what I'm doing personally. Like I re- you'll rarely see marketing content on there per se uh, for me. But it's back to that relationship where I sit down with a client and I haven't seen them in six months and they say, Hey, where was that mountain you were hiking on? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Yes. And I realized, so, and that's a really cool thing because someone feels like they're part of your life. Um, what now we've had a lot of sales pros that listen to my podcast 
And, you know, so I always try to kind of make this connection between sales um, or what we're talking about and, you know, their life. And so how can someone, a sales professional, apply some of your principles of millionaire marketing on a shoestring budget? Oh, well, you know, you just mentioned actually a really cool one. And we've talked about this quite a bit already. For sales professionals, I think what they need to keep top of mind is that it's about building relationships first. And the example that I love you just gave is that somebody said to you, you know, where was that mountain? So it's not always that you pick up the phone and say, when are you going to do business with me? You know, or, hey, I think it's time that we get this project rolling. It's about first getting to know that person. It goes back to that T factor. If you think about it, people you do business with are those that you know, like, and trust. So sales professionals take that time to build that then they'll have a customer for life or they'll have a customer, you know, lots of times people move on. Um, But if that customer moves on to something else and you've built that valuable, excuse me, valuable relationship, then they'll remember you. So it's always really important to think, you know, gee, when they pick up the phone and make this call, how am I going to close the deal Instead of saying, you know, gee, when I pick up and make this phone call, how am I going to build a relationship? And that can eventually lead to closing the deal. So many times I'll send out um, a message, connect with somebody. And this is a perfect example since you're in Canada. Happy belated Thanksgiving. Thank you. You Some of my connections, uh, one or two of them are in Canada for potential speaking opportunities. Now, I don't always email that person and say, hey, are you ready to book me? The other day, I just sent them a note saying, happy Thanksgiving. No, um, you actually you also, sent one to me so uh, yes. on Facebook. Well, I sent yeah. one, right. <laughs> you know, and some I send off to friends and others are just to have that touch point. Yes. Um, oh, you know, if I can find it while we're talking, there was a post I just saw that was about touch points and how many touch points you have to make. And let's see if I can find it real quick while we're talking, because a lot of people I think give up um, when they've reached out several times and then they go, okay, here it is. So this comes from the um, national sales executive association. And the statistics are that 48 percent of salespeople never never follow up with the prospect. Twenty five percent make a second contact and stop. Twelve percent only make three contacts and stop. Ten percent make more than three contacts. But then it goes on to say, and I won't read all of them, but it goes on to say the bottom line of it is 80 percent of sales are made on the fifth to twelfth contact. So if you're stopping at the first or the second, only two to three percent of the sales are made on the first or second content. And, so, and that's huge. I mean, I I um, have a um, you know I, I've got a professional sales certificate program, and the students one of the exercises they do is they have to track the last three deals they closed, how many interactions they had yeah. to have before the deal was closed. On average, it is between eight and twelve touches to close the average deal, and this is based upon you know, me actually getting, you know, really sales anecdotes from hundreds of salespeople. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's right on the money from my experience anyways. Yeah. You know, and that can 
to be real here for a minute, not that we haven't been real through this call, but, you know, that can be really draining. I mean, I make a lot of, you know, calls and emails and follow-ups for speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, after a certain number of touch points, if I still haven't gotten to the yes, I'm like, oh, God, can I, can I do this again? Can I pick up the phone again? And that's, like I said, not all of my touch points are about, you know, when's your next event coming up? When can you bring me in for training? It could just be Happy Thanksgiving. Um, but still, you have to maintain that and track it. And, you know, hopefully at some point when you get to your fifth to twelfth contact, you go, okay, now I can see it was all worthwhile. Uh, it, it is. And, you know, I've had clients that, you know, I had one particular client, a large insurance company. It took me 13 months of contacting them about once every three weeks from emails to invites to events to, you know, value-added content to eventually land the client. And they ended up being my biggest client over the next two years. And so I think that, you know, where some, you know, thinking like a marketer, an account-based marketer is is really key. You, saw, you know, I want to, you just brought up a great point. You said you invited them to your events. And that's one of the cool things when you're speaking is if, depending on where you're speaking, you know, if it'll, if you're allowed to, it's great to just let people know that, you, hey, I'm going to be speaking here. Come by and he, hear me. Absolutely. You know, it's a great way to have a touch point without saying, you know, when are we going to do business together? Just come hear me speak because then they get to learn more about you and discover your expertise. So that's a great way to uh, connect with people. So, um, you know, as an author, uh, you know, I'm always interested to hear what, you know, who are your mentors and favorite authors? Oh, I was really fortunate um, when I first started as a copywriter to have one of the best direct response copywriters as my mentor. His name is Eugene Schwartz. Um, Eugene passed away many years ago, but he wrote one of the best books, and I'm not alone in saying this, about writing, and it's called Breakthrough Advertising. It's actually kind of hard to come by these days. You can look for it on Amazon, and it can be quite pricey. Um, boardroom Books, if you're familiar with Brian Kurtz. Um, Brian's no longer with Boardroom, but I think he's got the rights to reprint it. So occasionally he does reprints, but it's Breakthrough Advertising. And Gene Schwartz was brilliant. So he was my mentor. And thanks to another uh, copywriting pro, Milt Pierce, that's how I connected with Gene. So in terms of mentors, he was the one that comes to mind the most. In terms of favorite authors, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Stratton. Scott wrote a book called Unmarketing. Yeah, he's great. He, we, um, I uh, met him in Vancouver when he first launched that book, and he's a oh, great, really? great speaker. And uh, yeah, he's refreshing. Refreshing. Yes, he's he's very down to earth and real. And actually, one of the cool things I just heard him and met him at the National Speakers Association convention uh, that was in Phoenix, and. When I say he's really real, you know, he comes out in a man bun uh, with a T-shirt on. You can see his tattoos. And he talks about, you know, how he's had people approach him for a speaking engagement and say, well, you have to wear a suit. And he goes, well, no, that's not who I am. But he's very clear in saying when he started his business and his speaking career, 
he would have put on a chicken suit if they asked him. <laughs> now that he's fortunate enough to get, you know, high paid speaking engagements, he has the privilege, he says, of turning things down when they don't want him to be who he is. Yeah, no, he's done amazing. There was an article, I think you probably saw it, written on him. Um, uh, it came out in, uh, I think it was in Inc. or Forbes um, on their website. And the fact that he last year did 50 speaking gigs at 20000 a pop. So he just did a million dollars. Right. Probably out of his home office. Uh, and that's all he does. When yeah. he spoke at uh, NSA, he's like, that's all I do is speak. You know, he doesn't go out and uh, promote coaching or consulting or... He speaks, you know, and bless his heart. I would love to have that opportunity. No, it's great, and it's 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 an unrelenting focus that he, you know, he's what he focuses on. For for our audience again, his the the author we're talking about is Scott Stratton, and he you can find him at uh, Unmarketing, um, and his Twitter handle is at Unmarketing as well. So, um, that's just thinking, kind of rolling back here, um, kind of to, to put a a bow on this, so to speak, or a shoestring, uh-huh. or a shoestring on it, I guess, <laughs> is, um, is what are three things, three principles or three actions that if I'm a listener and I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur or a sales professional, what are three key things I could do based on your opinion to really improve my ability to market myself? What are three kind of key principles or actions that you feel people, the average person can take that you see that most aren't doing now that they could do to really improve their state economically? Economically, well, first look at your message and your expertise. And so, what is it that you excel at that you can share with others? Because I believe everyone's got a gift or skill or a talent that they can share with the world and that other people want that. So, look at what is it that you can share with the world. So, it's really for some people, it's about really understanding what their product or their service is, but more, more importantly, What's the problem or the challenge or the issue that your audience is having? And what's the solution you offer for that? So once you have an understanding of that, then decide what's the best method for you. And this is probably the the real tip. Take one step at a time. So perhaps you have something that you excel at that solves a problem and makes people's lives easier or better that you can write an article about. And do you want to write that article for a local publication or for a trade publication? So your step is to go research what publication would be best suited for you, where your audience is, so that they can gain from your knowledge. Then the next step could be what organizations are out there that are looking for speakers on that topic. So maybe it's a local chamber of commerce. Maybe it's a rotary club these days. There are meetups all over the place, meetup.com, and many of them are business-oriented, so perhaps you go speak there. And actually, an aside on that is it doesn't always have to be a business topic. Maybe you're a great fly fisherman, and people go, well, then how do I get business from that? Well, you get business because you start to build relationships and you have something in common with the people in the audience. So look at what you excel in and then look at, can I write an article about this? Can I speak about this? Um, And then go back to what we were talking about earlier. A third step could be write a press release about it. So if you are speaking on a topic that people want to know about, let people know. Don't just, this is really important. Don't 
rely on the organization that's bringing you in, if it's appropriate. Um, go out there and market it yourself, especially using that tool we call social media. You know, and say, hey, want to learn about LinkedIn? I'm speaking at the local Chamber of Commerce this date and give them a link to the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber one will love you for it because you're helping them get the message out there. So those would be the three things you need to know are obviously your audience, your product or service, and your message. And then the three steps to take when you're clear on that is look at ways that you can get the message out there. And that could be through speaking, through writing articles, through sending press releases. And there's a lot more in the book, but those would be three top ones that I think are fairly simple for people to take action on right away. That's fantastic. And the book's called uh, Millionaire Marketing on a Shoestring Budget. And uh, you can uh, they can get that off of uh, Amazon.com. Um, as well as I believe I saw directly off your site as well. Yes, if they order at Millionaire Marketing on a Shoestring Budget.com, then they get an autographed copy with a gold shoestring. I love the gold shoestring. That was, <laughs> I, that was a great touch. I love it. It was fantastic. <laughs> it works as a good bookmark. <laughs> and so if people need to get, would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them? Obviously, they can go to Millionaire Marketing on a shoestring budget.com. Um, is there a couple other sites or places that they can reach out and connect with you on? Thank you for asking. Yes. Uh, so if you're interested in um, my copywriting services, then that website is right direction.com and that's w-r-i-t-e right direction.com if you're seeking a dynamic speaker or a trainer for a workshop then you go to deborajason.com and it's d-e-b-r-a-j-a-s-o-n.com and of course all the social media outlets like linkedin and facebook and twitter and instagram and pinterest and youtube what else <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And you're on all of them. So it's uh, you can when we Google you, we find you. So that's fantastic. So, Deborah, thank you very much for being on the show today. And I, and I look forward to having you back again and digging more into, uh, you know, marketing on a shoestring budget. I'd be honored to be a guest. And thanks for inviting me, Shane. It's always nice to touch base with you. Fantastic. This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net.